From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Seattle merchants are at their wits' end to do something about shoplifting, and so I thought we'd talk to a couple of people who've worked on this problem uh, in the real world to see what works and what doesn't. Representative Roger Goodman and Judge David Larson, who's with the Federal Way Civil Court. And Roger, as a state representative, I want to ask you, first of all, what what what's happening on the, the state level here? On shoplifting, uh, I guess there's two categories of shoplifting. One is what we call organized retail theft, which is, mm-hmm. you know, people with criminal intent stealing lots of stuff, uh, organized about it. And then there's sort of your run-of-the-mill shoplifting, picking up an item here and there. And needless to say, businesses lose billions of dollars nationwide yeah. on that. But I think the real problem is um, uh, is focusing on this sort of organized uh, theft. Now, is it out of hand? Has it has it gotten worse in recent years? Because that's certainly the perception. Well, we hear that from the retailers. Uh, and um, we've tried to amend the law, and I hope we can get it done this year, um, to uh, take account of intent. Hmm. Uh, in other words, if you're uh, if you put something in your pocket intending to leave the store, our current law doesn't allow law enforcement to intervene until you leave the store, until you're really? outside. So if a security guard sees you pocket some makeup or lipstick or you know a cell phone card, uh, they can't do anything until you actually try to leave the store. Right. So right now, they have to wait till they get outside, and then the car's waiting and running and can cause you know so danger in the parking lot. Those, and yeah. so, it, so the loss prevention officers in the stores want to be able to intervene in the store. And so we need to change the theft law to account for this concealment, this sort of, you know, the showing of intent to steal. Uh, and so that I hope we can get done in the upcoming session. Judge Larson, in federal way, how do you handle shoplifting? Well, I, one thing I want to point out first is there seems to be a, an all-or-nothing approach to this, either treatment or incarceration and nothing in between. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line is you need both. You need to be able to address the underlying cause of the behavior. And if we don't do that, then we're going to continue on with the behavior. Putting them in jail and then not dealing with it doesn't do anything. But well, what if the underlying cause of the behavior is I want this and I don't want to pay for exactly. it? Exactly. And that's the X factor in all of this yeah. is the individual's desire to change, to not commit crime. If the person has that desire, we can work with them. Mm-hmm. If they don't, either because the drugs or the mental illness is speaking louder than we do, then it's extremely difficult. We're not equipped for that. The challenge for a judge is reaching that defendant to try to get figure out what's motivating them and then change that behavior. That is why we're pulling our hair out, because the drugs and the mental illness speak louder than we do. So is there something different about the shoplifting we see today as opposed to what it may have been like 20 or 30 years ago? The demographic is much different. From what I hear, there's more violence associated yeah. with shoplifting. People are more desperate uh, because uh, a lot of folks that are, that are addicted are concerned about their withdrawal. So they are they are doing everything they can to get that next dollar they can get so they can buy more drugs so they don't get to that point. And so the desperation becomes greater, and so you're seeing a little bit more violence. And you can't, re- you and can't some, reason with someone like that. Right. They're just and so some, desperate for that hit, they'll do anything. Right, and some reticence by some of the retailers is now they don't want their employees in, in danger. My my son's friend is a loss prevention. He got his head ran over by a car. Really? Yeah, and so at bottom line is, is that there's the, both the safety of the workers as well as the safety of the public that you're concerned about too. Is so. there Has the justice system gone soft? Uh the uh, I think what, when we take the approach of compassion over accountability, uh, then we go soft. If we are compassion in balance with accountability, then we're doing the right thing. 
Because I think what we're, what I, my experience is when you have to reach the person, you have to get them mm-hmm. to decide for themselves to change. And they aren't necessarily going to do that if they think you're, they're your enemy. But if they think they're too, you're too much of their friend, then they take advantage and they continue on because it's, it's easy. Yeah. It was a David Horsey cartoon in the, in the uh, Times of the weekend. I don't know if you saw it, but it was a, a shoplifter, you know, looking at the, the store clerk. clerk says, I'm going to turn you in. And the shoplifter saying, essentially, no, you won't, and just waltzes out the door. Right. And I think right now we're reaping the, the kind of the, the punishment of not taking these more seriously when somebody first commits a crime. So the first time somebody commits a crime and there's any evidence of their of mental illness or addiction or contributing to this, we should be addressing it then instead of the focus now. And the reason we're in this turmoil is because we're focusing, think so much is out of control. But if you just consider it a minor crime so you don't devote any resources to yeah. it to try to identify early, we're going to end up chasing chasing our tail when things are out of control. And that's where the state will have to step up, right, Roger? Because um, we we have sort of dropped the ball on mental illness, haven't we? We have, and we are finally turning around. I mean, we've invested hundreds of millions of dollars. We need more, uh, you know, brick and mortar. Or we need beds. Uh, we need more professional workforce. Um, so we're starting uh, to make the investment. But, yeah, this has been a generation of neglect of our behavioral health system. The state, uh, the courts, uh, law enforcement need, need to intervene. I think ultimately it's a question of resources again. We mm-hmm. have to have that those places to go. I can't tell you the number of times law enforcement uh, say to me, if there was another place I could take them, I right. would, right? right? King County is actually doing a pretty good job, sort of a showcase for the nation, although we have a long way to go, in building out this new infrastructure for behavioral health. Um, but what about the remote areas of the state and, and so forth? So. Th- a lot of investment is needed there. But in the meanwhile, sort of in my jurisdiction, because I chair the Public Safety Committee, uh, what uh, does the criminal justice system need to, as the judge was saying, uh, acknowledge that the underlying cause is behavioral health and intervene that way uh, so as not needlessly to punish, but not just to mm-hmm. say, well, here's a fine and don't come back again, because they come back 72 times. Right, exactly. So, Judge, in federal way, when you find somebody who needs that kind of mental health treatment, is there a place you can send them now? And that's where the rub is. Um, my job is to figure out, is to separate the can'ts from the won'ts. The can'ts you work with. The won'ts, well, that they get the punishment side, yeah. right? But the problem with the, with the system we have now is I can order somebody to go get treatment, but then they go out and say they're addicted, say they got a co-occurring disorder, it's addiction and mental illness. They can't get in for an evaluation for two or three weeks. They're all motivated, but in the meantime, they relapse. And then, and then they might get another warrant, they don't show up for court. And it's this cycle that's almost predictable that you see once somebody gets that first crime that it just snowballs from there because we aren't able to get in early with the resources. Uh, and Federal Way is, is, uh, is kind of a suburb of Seattle, but it's mm-hmm. uh, certainly the tax base is such that it's hard to, to sure. develop local resources that would help. Uh, what can be done now then? I, I understand with the mental health part, that's going to take a, a lot more money. But there, I keep coming back to the people who – really are just flaunting the fact that they can do this and get away with it. Now, is is there a way that you can at least send a message to them that it's uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy? Well, I think, I think what you have to have is you have to have this system that is based upon if you're, if you're one of the can'ts, if you're somebody that just can't do it and you mm-hmm. need help, we need to help. But if you're a won't, if you just flat out don't want to uh, cooperate, won't, don't want to participate, then the punitive system needs to kick in. 
But the therapeutic system, I, I think the movement towards therapeutic courts is excellent mm-hmm. because those people that are ready for change, those people that want to change, we fail them if we aren't there to help uh, that, that handoff. We have a lot of resources out there. But I use the jigsaw puzzle kind of analogy. We each see our little piece of the jigsaw puzzle as the answer, uh, right? Right. But what the people we serve, what they see is just a bunch of jigsaw puzzle pieces laying around. If we had a way of pulling that together in a cohesive way to take existing resources and coordinate them better so we didn't have these silos, then those people that are ready and able to change, uh, we can get that accomplished. The ones that won't, then the punitive system is going to have to kick in where jail is the uh, yeah. basically. So when, a, so when you get a bona fide won't in your courtroom, right, right. what happens to that person? Well, the bona fide won'ts go to jail in, in, in federal they way. They do. Yeah, yeah. And, it's and, a function, and does that work? Does it's it... a function of the negotiations between the prosecutor and the defense attorney. Most of the people that are in jail are there by agreement, by plea mm-hmm. agreement. The judges rarely have to... Uh, be involved in a disagreement between the the attorneys, and when we do, we impose whatever we think is fair under the circumstances. Yeah. Now, does that work? Does that deter people? I, I I think to some people it does, to others it doesn't. I mean, I've had I've had just a, a kind comment made to this one woman that it made all the difference in the world. I just said you're going to get through this, and that made all the difference in the world. And you got other people. I got a guy that's uh, I haven't seen in a while, but he has over two hundred crimes. Two hundred crimes. Two hundred crimes. I put him away for four hundred days one time. And he was back within two weeks. And he's, so, and he's okay. a won't. This isn't yeah. just illness. Yeah. That's the thing. We have to make these distinctions. You say shoplifter and what comes into your mind. You know, someone who's intending to steal something. Well, yeah, maybe it's one of those won'ts. Uh, they're flouting the law and they intend to steal. But then another huge category, huge, probably larger category, because this is what we hear from the retailers, are people who are in crisis. Yeah, and right. they are, don't, don't want to go into withdrawal or they're not you know, thinking right. And so that's not the same as sort of criminal intent. Right. And then, again, as distinguished from this organized retail theft, uh, which I've talked about before, which is a big dollar loss in, in, in terms of uh, in comparison to the other types of shoplifting. Uh, so organized retail theft, that's absolute criminal activity that we need to crack down on. And we have, in our statutes, addressed the law in that area. But I think here we're focusing on, again, behavioral health, trying to address the underlying causes of why they might be stealing from a store. Yeah. What it gets down to, if, I, if I'm somebody that's willing and able to change my life and I'm in court and I got a mental illness or an addiction and I can't be lined up with something that's going to help me and or I have to wait a month to get in somewhere and I relapse or I'm living in the woods and I relapse or I steal again, that's, that's, that's still on me legally as that person. But the question is, are we contributing in some ways in a lot of ways, we could just I'll give you one example. Somebody goes to inpatient. Nobody thinks of communicating with the courts, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't. And so the person doesn't show up because they're in inpatient treatment, getting treatment. So we issue a warrant. They get out and they move on with their life. They're getting stable and the warrant catches up with them. Now they're back in jail. They lose their housing. Their insurance is suspended. So just coordination yeah, that's dumb. and communication and, and the system itself sometimes will contribute to the failure of these individuals. And so how do we shore those things up? How do we make it so that so that we on our end and the system itself aren't contributing in some way to it? And resource availability is significant. That's why getting somebody the first offense, you know, you can spend less resources on them. If they never come back, we're good to go. Yeah. Second well, offense, it ramps up. We're talking about misdemeanors here, okay? So mm-hmm. the superior courts uh, handle felonies. And there's all sorts of boutique or therapeutic, you know, specialty courts at the at the superior court level. 
But here we're talking about our local courts. We call our courts of local jurisdiction, municipal courts and district courts. And they handle misdemeanors. And that is the vast bulk of sort of criminal activity out there. Most of it's DUI and domestic violence. Uh, but a lot of this is this theft level, this sort of misdemeanor level linked to behavioral health problems. And we don't have a handle on it. And the, the misdemeanor level courts don't coordinate with each other. There's not sort of a regional approach, mm-hmm. uh, which we could create. Uh, I mean, we need to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, there's a so lot is of, somebody lot of, working to fix that? Well, House Bill 2605 that was uh, pending two years ago would allow consolidation of probation. That's a big step. So, so if somebody has cases in four different jurisdictions, they can go to one jurisdiction for probation and then those that probation department can report to all four courts. But you can imagine being homeless and you're thinking five seconds in front of your face and you have to go to four different courts and report to yeah, four it's different not probation to departments. So you're going to fail. That's a bill that I hope, I'm on the Judiciary Committee in the House, I hope we can get that through this year. Yeah. Because so. unless something happens, it seems to me that most merchants are going to have to become uh, Amazon Go stores, which which is where you don't even get in unless you have the cell phone app that has your credit card number. And, and you go in and basically you shoplift from the store, right? But the, the phone is keeping track of it and you end up paying for it. Um, uh, unless you can get this, the, this thing under control, that's, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Well, there's, there's a lot of folks. We've been focusing on shoplifting, but there's car prowling. There's the pe- things getting stolen mailboxes. on porches. There's yeah. mailboxes. My own neighborhood got hit. The mailboxes got hit. Um, but the, the thing is, is that, again, individual behavior that's our job is, is to influence that. And to, to somebody that isn't addicted or mentally ill, the system works really well. You know, mm-hmm. if you were in my court and you did something wrong, I tell you, don't do it again. You're going to be on probation and I'd likely never see you again. But if that, if that uh, untreated mental illness or addiction is fueling your behavior, yeah. I'm, I'm just the Charlie Brown teacher going, wah, wah, wah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you're not hearing me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what about a universal basic income? What about Andrew Yang's idea? If I it, like it. If people are diff- if people are that desperate for money that they'll you know resort to violence for it, why don't we just? I mean, wouldn't it just be cheaper to give everybody a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> yes, I have to say that. Uh, maybe I'm putting myself out on a limb, but the, yeah. the UBI idea is is uh, very promising. So. Yeah. Well, some of the when it comes to, I mean, I can't. That's a non judicial thing, so I can't comment. <laughs> I know, but but as but a when person, it, you could comment. Yeah, but the uh, <laughs> well, even a, I'm no longer a person as a judge. <laughs> Although, does that make does that sound right? Anyway, um, you on that. But the the point is, is that just as simple as getting medication assisted treatment for heroin addicts right away, theoretically, you're going to impact a lot of people because now they don't have to steal to satisfy right. that urge, and just that one simple thing early on. Uh, can help go a long way and just but just figuring out to build a therapeutic court we did it in federal way with chewing gum and bailing wire right and each court is left on its own to build a therapeutic court wouldn't it be great if we had a regional approach to being able to have a handoff by courts to services a warm yeah. handoff well you got to so, talk to your state legislature oh, no. and we, about and, that and we That's are we're, we absolutely yeah. are moving in that direction i mean yeah. I, I, I convened a group in olympia and i'm going to convene the same group again uh, next month to talk about what legislative, uh, other than funding, I mean, you know, we always battle over that, but structurally, what can we do about, again, these local courts, the misdemeanor level courts, to allow them to address this problem uh, better? And let's see if there's a legislative solution in the upcoming session, but uh, we're, we are definitely moving in the right direction. And I mean, think about it. 15 years ago, we were locking people up who had addiction. It was the drug war was raging, right? So we really are phasing out of that and looking at it as a health problem. So we have to build up the infrastructure now and then have the courts 
coordinate with that. Yeah. So what's so, the what's the consensus here in the room between the state representative and the uh, the judge on the front lines? Does this get solved? Well, when it comes to money, I agree with uh, Representative Goodman. I think we first got to get smarter about how we use our money before we start putting more money into it. I mean, they're already adding more money because of the mental health crisis, and that's good. But if we can look at how that money is being spent and how we can better coordinate, because like the fear I have with therapeutic courts, which are absolutely essential, they they have to be the trend, is that we are creating just another silo. I mean, another example, our local fire department, they have two social workers and three firefighters devoted just to dealing with responding to mental health crisis and that type of thing. Why does why is that have to happen? Why do we have two social workers at a fire department? Why can't they be done by an agency that's that's that actually is dedicated? Well, actually, I have to disagree with that. Well, that well, it, yeah. I think the embedded social workers with fire and police, first responders, um, is a good model. Uh, oh we, no, I agree with that. Seen that they can be dispatched to the scene, de-escalate or whatever. You know, it's a sort of whether it's fire or law enforcement, they sort of step back, and the trained social worker or mental health worker deals with the person in crisis. So that's actually a good good model that in the legislature we've provided millions of dollars of funding in the last couple of years to expand that model. I agree with that model. My point is why can't that person that's with the fire department be with a social service agency instead of the fire department? And again, maybe it's it's six of one, half dozen another. But the, the the question is, can we take existing resources and have us work together closer? I think people love hearing all these ideas, and and what they would like to know is, okay, can I? Will I see something change next year? Two years? Five years? What kind of a time horizon are we talking about? This is uh, we got a short legislative session coming up, so it's and it's all you know already end of the year here. So uh, this is a pretty large. Topic, And I think in terms of structural change and more funding and more programs at the misdemeanor level, we'll see what happens in the upcoming session. But it, there's a lot of discussions that have to happen. With, you know, prosecutors need to sign off and we still have to wait for the infrastructure of therapeutic care to continue to build out. Uh, and, uh, and then Judge Larson's association, the District and Municipal Court Judges Association, has to chew on it a while, you know, because they mm-hmm. would be sort of an official transmission to us, it's okay to do it. Uh, But I really think we're moving in the right direction here. So, What do you think? How much time, Judge Larson? Well, um, just so so you're aware, the judiciary is moving towards what's what's called trauma-informed decision-making, where we're actually, instead of talking at people, we're talking with people to try to, again, again, identify what's the underlying cause and try to deal with that instead of just using, you know, a cookie-cutter, check-a-box kind of approach. And... uh, that's that's already happening, and uh, therapeutic courts we're building them slowly but surely across the state. What I what I noticed about our community court is it didn't take any money. It was a change of attitude and approach. Hmm. I, I, you had to do a segment on therapeutic courts because the difference they make in people's lives when they're ready and we're ready with them significant. It changes. It's even changed the lives of the attorneys. Their outlook. Uh, and so I I really am a proponent of of those types of approaches because now you're treating. It's the magic of dignity and respect. If you're in my court and I treat you like you're subhuman, you're going to end up, maybe it'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the solution is not to be more hard-nosed is what you're saying. I think you have to be under the right circumstances. The idea is that you, again, as long as it's it's a graduated approach. If somebody is going to be a won't, then there's no choice but to impose punishment. If somebody's a can't, you need to work with them until they can be a can and that's and that's where we where we have to go is the therapeutic approach 
is significant. I mean, just think in your own life, if somebody approached you, do this or else, how you're going to react versus this is in your best interest to do this a little differently mm-hmm. now. What do you think? Yeah, and, yeah. and again, but there's people that will persist and because they just want to steal or they just want to do whatever, then at that point in time, that's the, the, the justice system has been uh, equipped to deal with that for, for, for decades. Yeah. I mean, Seattle has really given birth to uh, this harm reduction approach. Mm-hmm. People who are in crisis, uh, running afoul of the law, contributing to public disorder. You can intervene and kind of, you know, you're, you're lending a helping hand, establishing a goal, small goals that they can meet. Uh, expecting eventual relapse and working with them, not giving up. Uh, and uh, so this is the approach on the street now. There's a program called Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, right. LEAD. The LEAD model where you intervene on the street, uh, law enforcement intervene, but there's not an arrest. There's more of a caseworker, you know, working with this person instead. How's that not catch and release? Well, uh, in a, they don't... Re- they don't release them because they never arrested them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more of an engagement of people who need help and maybe never had any help. And the, the research is pretty clear that this works and this uh, model is being replicated across the country. Uh, law enforcement loves it. They used to think, well, wait a minute, arresting people is what we do. Now they've learned uh, to divert pre-arrests to therapeutic care. And it's pretty clear who these people are. These are not people with criminal intent to steal or whatever. They're, you know, in crisis. So there's a lot of good stuff going on on the street. We kind of want to expand that now into, you know, the court system. And, uh, uh, but we are uh, kind of a showcase for the nation on this. The whole country's suffering from this mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Well, that's encouraging. I can just speak as somebody who's done a couple of forms on this and to tell you that the, the people who run the shops and the businesses are at their wits end. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of reason for feel that way. The citizens are too. And the, yeah. the thing is, is that I convened a forum back in December of 2017 where I brought everybody together, uh, fire, police, everybody, because we're, we're all affected by the same people. So why can't we figure out a way to address the folks in a, in a kind of a unified way, a community-coordinated response? Because in a lot of ways, we're serving the same people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Judge David Larson, Federal Way Civil Court, and Representative Roger Goodman, State Legislature. Thank you both very much for coming. Thank you. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.